Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. You are listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. Well, a quote came by my desk this morning, and I, I love it. The world will never starve for the want of wonders. And speaking of incredible wonders, uh, Lisa is off in Africa for the next couple of weeks, truly breathing in God's wonders and adventures. So I'm sure she would covet your prayers if you can um, think about her today. And speaking of incredible wonders, we have a fabulous guest today. She is an award-winning author, Carrie Taransky. She has been the recipient of several awards, even some on the international level. And while Carol has been writing articles, devotions, and essays since 1999, writing fiction is her passion. She's thankful for the creative ideas God has put into her mind and heart. Well, she was born and raised in Oregon, but currently lives in central New Jersey with her husband, Scott, who is a pastor, counselor, and the author of several parenting books. They have five adult children and four grandchildren. Uh, the Taranskys partner in ministry at Calvary Chapel Living Hope, a church they helped plant along with a team of hardworking, Jesus-following friends. And when she's not writing, Carol enjoys spending time with her family, working outside in her flower gardens, cooking healthy meals for family and friends, or walking around the lake uh, near her home. So we want to welcome you, Carol Taransky. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Okay, so in New Jersey, my, my husband's actually going there next week. Are, are you having some fun weather, or is it pretty nasty already? It's a little rainy today, but the leaves are still really pretty, so maybe he'll still get to see that when he comes. Yeah, it's interesting. when you, we're, we're both natives of Arizona. When you grow up in Arizona, you really don't get the full feeling of the seasons. So when you go, you know, back east, it's like, oh, wow, this is fall. <laughs> I, I know that just seems so foreign, but it's like everything is always, you know, pretty much the same here. We don't get that the beautiful fall leaves. We we actually live in the desert, so our cactus might get a little bit yellower, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, so um, tell us a little bit about your new book that's coming out, The Daughter of Highland Hill. And the very beginning of it, um, the reader, readers will find the scripture. Ah, boy, that was hard to get all of that out this early in the morning. We'll find the scripture, Matthew 633. Um, what is the significance of that verse in the story? Well, that verse is the one that says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I chose that as the theme for uh, the daughter of Highland Hall 
because it sort of summarizes the journey of the heroine, Kate Ramsey, sort of her faith journey and the things that she discovers along the way in the story. So I thought that would be a good one that um, readers would, would pique their interest and get them into the story. Mm. Well, uh, she's this main character as a debutante uh, trying to find her place in society. And ultimately, she wants to snag a husband, I'm assuming. So why will readers, what what do you think that they'll be able to identify with her experiences? Well, it is a really different time period, but it was fun to research and learn how a wealthy young woman in England 100 years ago would launch into her adult life. And so they, you know, they they had to prepare for it for months. And then the first thing was a presentation to the king and queen, and they had to wear this beautiful court dress, all white, with certain specifications, things they had to wear, including two feathers in their hair. And then they had to bow before the king and queen, and that was sort of um, the first event. And then they would be invited to a lot of different social events, and the idea, you're right, was for them to meet the right uh you know, be exposed to young people of the same class and hopefully find someone who would want to marry them. So, yes, that's quite different than today. But I'm hoping that readers will identify uh, just with the idea that she's seeking her future and what should she really do in the future and what's most important to her. And um, I'm hoping that the things that she considers will also just be of interest to readers and help them, too, as they think about what God wants them to do in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always find it fascinating when you go back to that era, the medieval times where, um, like you said, you love doing the research. Uh, so many times as parents, we look at our children. I have one in junior high, and she comes home with some crazy, crazy comments of what happened at school today. And you can't help but think, wow, you know, our our culture is really, really in a sad situation. But then you look back, I'm sure as you're doing some of the research, you go, it was always in this like decadent, like <laughs> you can you can get depressed sometimes. I'm reading um, Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus, and um, just looking at what was taking place um, back in that era with the kings taking the, you know, the small children, uh, Tiberius, where he... Uh, would just throw them off of the cliff there by his his castle, and when he was done with them, and it, it's you 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 basically you realize that um, like in Ecclesiastes, nothing changes under the sun. But how, find, what kind of um, just where you were so shocked when you were doing the research? Did you discover? Well, the Edwardian era is. Um, 1900 through 1918, and that's right after the Victorian era in England. And during the Victorian era, Queen Victoria was very um, religious and had quite strict morals, and that had an influence on the culture at the time. But, you know, things began to change at the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s. So, you know, we see that there is a real divide in society, and that's evident in the story, too, of those who you know, are um, following the culture and the loosening of morals, and then those who are seeking after God and have a different standard and how that's going to impact their lives. So I did kind of, that's the contrast that Kate sees, and she has to choose which kind of a life she wants. So you're right, every every era has its challenges, and, you know, God's truth stands through, through all time. So 
I, I kind of wanted to highlight that in the book too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have traveled um, to Europe, and you've also done a taken some of your research efforts that way. What were some of the highlights of your trip that really made your writings come alive? Um, I've been blessed to be able to go to England twice in the last couple of years to do research for this series. And so in 2012, uh, we, we traveled there with my husband, and we toured three different areas. And probably the, one of the fun things I really enjoyed was visiting Highclere Castle, where the British TV series Downton Abbey is filmed. And uh, that was great. It's really beautiful, even more beautiful than you see it on television. <laughs> So I really enjoyed that. And then in May, I went again with a, another author friend, and I toured the estate that I actually have in mind as I'm writing the story. And this estate is called Tintisfield, and it's in uh, southwest England near Bristol. So that was really fun after having written two books set there to go and see it in person and be able to meet um, the staff. It's, it's owned like by a National Historic Society now called the National Trust. So it's open for tours all the time, and I could go through and see all the different rooms. And I felt like I was going to walk around the corner and run into one of my characters. <laughs> it was a real fun experience. Wow. wow, that's really neat. Um, okay, so go a little bit. We, we have about three minutes before we go into a, a commercial break. What, um, as you're writing this book and you're just, I, I love how you, you shared that um, you're just excited that God is using you in your writings um, to just pursue, you know, God's adventure. So as you navigate through, what are your expectations that you want your readers to walk away from in just the relationship with God? Well, as a storyteller, I want them to really be swept away by the story so that they feel like they've traveled to another time and place, and it's a great break for them. It's clean. It's uh, uplifting kind of reading. So I hope that I give my readers, you know, an enjoyable story. But I also hope that they will um, think a little bit more deeply about some of the issues that the characters face and that they'll see how God is at work in the characters' lives and in what's happening in the characters' world, and then that will help them to think about their own lives and maybe how God wants to work in their life or um, how he wants to deepen his relationship with them. And I do, I get emails from readers who have been touched by my stories, and that's really special. I'm very grateful to hear from readers and know that the stories um, provide great entertainment, but they also have, you know, sparked thoughts about their faith and just how they might live a little bit differently because of some of the things that they've read in the story. So that's really meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Do you have tips, like goals that you, you write down initially and go, here, here are the tips that I want my readers to walk away and kind of back into it? Or as you're writing the story and the characters, you go, ah, this is a good lesson for them to learn. <laughs> Usually I give them problems and um, decisions that they have to make. I have those in mind because that's what makes stories interesting when there's conflicts and issues that come between people and make the journey interesting. And then I try to look at how God would actually help people in situations like that and how they might learn spiritual truth and try to weave it in very naturally so it's not preachy. It's just coming naturally through the people's lives and their experiences so that they uh, readers can then see just by being involved with the characters how God might be working in that kind of situation. 
Do you have um, a character in mind that, you know, perhaps has a new relationship with Christ and then watch them as their relationship grows deeper? When I know your main character, Kate, um, she has it's based on her new relationship with God. And then it goes. Do do you have someone in mind as you watch her grow? Um, Probably it's more I have a combination of experiences because um, I want it to fit the story, so I have to take little bits and pieces from different people's lives and my own experiences, and then I weave them all together that way so that it really fits in with the story. Awesome. Okay, Carrie, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Goals, objectives, business and action plans. How important are they for me to manage? Whether you're an executive, entrepreneur, or maybe you're just someone looking to advance your career and want to be confidently prepared for your future, business and life coach Carmen Carosa can help you remove obstacles and move forward in the right direction. Carmen is known as the real-world coach for a reason. His no-nonsense style, along with an innate ability to form connections with people, gives you a unique opportunity to see higher and further than ever before. We live and work in an ever-changing, complicated world that can leave us with questions about every decision we make. Join host Carmen Carosa, business and life coach, on Forward Motion. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, you will realize dreams and aspirations you thought we're out of reach. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Back with our guest today, award-winning author Carrie Taransky. Her newest book, *The Daughter of Highland Hall*. And Carrie, I was kind of abrupt going into that commercial break, but we were talking about just the characters that that you bring to life, and uh, the one character, Kate, how she is a newer um, Christian, and just the the decisions that she makes. Um, are there times when you're writing, perhaps you're just in a, in a down day, maybe just even not questioning your faith, but there are times when you might be in that, okay, why God, why did, why did you allow this to happen? Do you ever have those moments that perhaps in your writing, some of that will come out where 
it almost it, it inspires you as well, where you feel that that God is just using you and flowing through you as you're putting pen to paper. Well, uh, it's definitely a matter of prayer every day when I um, want to sit down to write. So uh, that's important to me that I be connected to the Lord. So usually um, I like to start each morning with some quiet time and be sure that I am filled up myself <laughs> so that I'm ready for whatever happens. And my husband is a pastor, so we have a real busy household. He works here at home, and we also are involved in a uh, parenting ministry. So it's a, just a busy place here, and there's often sometimes interruptions or things that he needs. So have to be flexible, right, so that you can yes. uh, go with the flow of what the Spirit's doing. So I, I try to write um, in the morning. That's when I have my best. My brain seems to think the clearest for that. But as I get closer to my deadline, I end up having to work on it pretty much all day. But um, I try to take some breaks. I think for me to be outside in nature, like to if it's the season's warm enough here in New Jersey to go outside and either work in the garden or take a walk can really be refreshing and help me refocus and get going again. And then I think time with friends who are believers is really encouraging to me. I have some special girlfriends that I like to, um, you know, go have lunch with or a couple author friends that we regularly go away on retreats together and just brainstorm ideas for our stories. And so that's really helpful, too, to hear other people, to share their life and to um, share that walk of faith together is really helpful for me. So those things kind of help keep me on track. And then we have a great church that I love very much and just love serving the Lord there and being involved with the women. And we have a weekly Bible study that I don't lead. I'm blessed to have somebody else leading it right now, but I participate and that's really refreshing, too, just to see what God's doing in, in other people's lives and share the Word together. So those things kind of help keep me on track so that I can, um, you know, handle life well and fit in the writing around some of the other things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis met with um, two other men. Do you remember the name? I can't think of what they called themselves. The, the Inkling. Yes, thank you. Yes. Uh, uh -huh. do, you, do you try to kind of have, when you say other authors, it made me think of that. It's just nice when you have someone that you can meet with that can truly chisel you and challenge you. Yes, I think that's really important. And, I mean, not everybody, you know, has the same type of personality, but I'm sort of an introvert, so I do better with small groups or one-on-one. -on -one. So having just a few friends to share with is fun, and I try to do that, you know, by email and then – uh know, getting together a few times a year. But then I also go to a big national writers conference, a Christian writers conference every fall with American Christian fiction writers. And that's a great place for people who are just aspiring authors or they're already published to take, uh, you know, classes and connect with other authors and publishing professionals. And so that's, that's great too, to have that larger kind of a group where you can have input and continue learning and improving in your writing. So both those things, I think, are helpful, the small group and then also the larger connection to other authors. I, it's interesting when you say I'm an introvert. I just did a conference last Friday. Um, it, was, it was a small, well, not too small. It was a couple hundred people that were there, but at just there were quite a few. I, I had a raise of hand of how many introverts and how many extroverts. And there was a significant number of introverts and it, <laughs> it, 
it made it was just funny because the conference is just a little quieter than, <laughs> and you have a hard time really getting uh, the, the feedback so when you go to the conferences is that something you absolutely look forward to or do you really have to energize yourself to to make that commitment to go oh i really look forward to it because i've been involved with the organization since it started in 2000 so i have a lot of old friends i look forward to seeing and and you know when i'm thinking of it i'm thinking of those one-on-one connections that's kind of the person that i am but i enjoy the large group setting and stuff too but i'm really looking forward to just those conversations with individuals as well as attending classes, that kind of thing. So it's a nice combination of both things that I enjoy, and it's a lot of fun. So if anybody's interested in writing fiction, I really recommend that they look online at American Christian Fiction Writers. It's a, I think it's only like maybe $50 a year, but there's a lot of great mentoring that goes on there and the conference, and then there's email loops and Facebook groups for different genres. So if you're interested in writing Fiction, it's, it's just a wonderful way to connect. I feel like that's how I, you know, was able to learn what I needed to learn to, to be published. So I'm really grateful for that organization. And speaking of that, because um, there are so many, I know some of my friends that are, you know, just really involved in blogging and maybe even turning some of their blogs, their blogs into books. Are you finding that more and more are just self-publishing rather than getting an agent and going through a publishing company? Well, there certainly are a lot of changes happening right now in the publishing industry, and there are a lot more people who are uh, able to self-publish. So that's definitely an option, and there's even authors who have been traditionally published now who some of them are stepping away from that and doing self-publishing anyway just because they would rather work like that. So it's a big revolution that's happening right now. I I don't know what's going to happen. I have been... um, I have had 13 books traditionally published, but I've also done two self-published novels. Um, And so that's been fun. I've kind of seen it from both sides. So we actually have a term that we use called hybrid. A hybrid author is somebody who's actually doing both. So I kind of fall in that camp right now. Do you find it easier to go with a publisher? Oh, it's not easier, no. It's harder because there's just uh, fewer and fewer slots are available. It's harder to break in. To traditional publishing. Um, that's really uh, a gift I'm very grateful for, and I know there's lots of people who would love that, and it's just it's really tough to do. So I have a great agent, and I've been working at it for a number of years, so I'm just blessed to be able to to do that. But I enjoy, there was, a, you know, a book that got turned down. It's a particular link that was hard to place with traditional publishers, and I love the story, and so I decided um, this was in 2011, before this was even very popular, mm-hmm. that I would do the self-publishing route with it. And it's been great. It has a real ministry um, in that story. The woman who has some burns, scars, and it just um, it has ministered to certain people who needed to read that story. So I'm glad that it's out there and that I was able to do that myself. Yeah, and to be really, truly listen to what God was telling you to do is, is has such a big impact. Well, I want to switch back into your, your book. One, we've been talking about the main character, Kate, but another character in the book, um, Jonathan, is a physician. And our next guest uh, is a surgeon that we're going to be talking to. And it's interesting because in that time, was that a common practice among phys- physicians um, to 
you know, is it, was it hard to get into or, you know, was the physician like truly the physician for the entire, you know, kingdom? How, do, how does that work? Well, uh, there were a lot of physicians and they did medical training through hospitals usually. And so that's what, where Jonathan's at in the story. He's actually uh, finishing up his medical training and trying to decide about his future, what he'll do if he'll return to India where he spent a good portion of time with his family who were missionaries, or if he's going to stay in England, um, either at the hospital where he's training or to take uh, a position at a clinic in a poor area of London where he's been volunteering. So he's facing some different choices, too. And um, there were a lot of Christians who were interested in helping the poor at that time in England. And so one of the groups that I researched was the Salvation Army, and how they started in England in the mid-1800s. And so in the early 1900s, when my story is set, the elderly leader of the Salvation Army uh, is passing off the scene, and I have my characters hear his granddaughter giving a speech uh, about uh, the work of the Salvation Army and their, the way they balanced preaching the gospel with <clears throat> giving practical help to those in need. So that was kind of a neat theme to explore and use in the story. So that was great to have a medical student and see how, you know, the idea of using your gifts and your training to give help and be able to share the gospel then. So I, I weave that all into the story too. Hmm. Okay. So tell us, we, we have a couple minutes left before we go on to commercial break. Tell us where we can find you and how we can get a hold of not only this, the newest book, but also the ones that you self-published. Okay. Um, I have a website that is just my name, Carrie, uh, com, And, uh, all the links there are to my social media. I love Pinterest. I have a lot of Pinterest boards for my different books and the different themes and subjects I'm looking at in the books. So that's a fun thing to share. I'm pretty active on Facebook. I have an author page there. I do a little bit on Twitter, but not as much. Facebook is more, more fun for me, <laughs> so I kind of spend more time there. Uh, but, uh, so that's how people can connect. My books, um, I, on my website I have uh, a book page that has links to purchase any of my books. But the, all the ones that are traditionally published are available through Amazon or Barnes & Noble or just about anywhere that you would buy books. So the first in the series is The Governess of Highland Hall. And then the one we talked about today was The Daughter of Highland Hall. And then I'm writing book number three, which comes out next fall, which will take the family into World War One in England. And that's called A Refuge at Highland Hall. Now, I, I have to tell you, um, whenever I read through like three books like that. I really get sad when it's completely over. So um, I hope <laughs> you that can you can imagine will... how I feel then, right? When <laughs> I have to say goodbye to my characters. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm okay with you. You know, you just keep going, go, go ahead and start on, on book four, etc. Et well, I want to thank you for being on our show today. You were delightful and I highly recommend um, you finding Carrie and reading her books. And remember, beauty is God's handwriting. And that is a quote by Charles Kingsley. Uh, we thank you for being with us. We're going to go into our commercial break and we will be right back. Thank you, Patty. Oh, girl, 
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The Woohoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world. From your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, Anne offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. Every week on Spark Your Soul Radio, Anne takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, our next guest, Dr. Klaus Dieter John, grew up in Germany and met and fell in love with his wife, Martina, during his term as high school class president. The two bonded over the strong call they felt to obtain medical degrees in order to serve the medical needs of the poorest of the poor. Dr. John began medical school in Germany, eventually completing his surgical training at Harvard and Yale in the United States, as well as in Johannesburg, South Africa. Martina, his wife, was trained in both Germany and the U.S., and now certified pediatrician in both countries. Their medical missions work took them from Ghana to Ecuador, eventually bringing them to Peru, where they helped found the ministry in August of 2002. So welcome, Dr. John. How are you today? Yes, hello. I'm fine. How are you doing? 
I am doing awesome. And I, I have to tell you, um, my other, my partner host was not able to be here this morning. She's actually in Africa, in Egypt. But a couple years ago, we did a um, kind of a girlfriend's conference there in Peru. And we went down the the river on a boat into, uh, and I'm trying to think, is that is that lake or river? No, I think it's a lake that goes into the the river, and I, I want to say Titicaca. Is that the name? Titicaca. Yes, yes. that's actually a, a lake in the south of Peru, and it's the highest navigable lake in the world, almost four thousand meters or twelve thousand feet high up in the the mountain. Oh, okay. Well, um, if I recall, the river, that was the one, it was just so sad because even the dolphins were blinded because of the filth in the in the water, and it, it broke my heart. Um, so are you close in that area? Well, if we are based in the Aparimac state, that is about, um, well, 12 hours away from Lake Titicaca in the mountains, in the Andes. Oh, okay. Well, tell us, what does the name of your hospital, tell us the name of your hospital, what it means, and what is the main mission of why you are there? The name of the hospital is Dios Bisuyana. That's a Quechua expression. It means we trust in God. Now, the Quechua people are the descendants of the ancient Incas. There are about 10 million Quechuas in the mountains of Peru, and they live in poverty they have uh, in adobe houses no window glass, no electricity. Um, very difficult for them to find decent health care. So we decided years ago we want to establish a modern hospital to serve these people. Ah, now okay. So you're you're you've come to the United States. You did your training at Harvard and Yale, and you have chosen to go back and um, truly serve the poorest of the poor. And your book. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about it and where we can find it. But um, as I'm reading through your book, it reminds me of a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Are you familiar with that book? Yes, of course. I read it twice, actually. And I know Jim Cimbala personally. Yeah, and, and, and your book is similar where, uh, you know, I love that. It, it's just the excitement of the Holy Spirit really, truly just joining him and and everybody else just igniting from this fire of the way that you are seeing God. So tell us um, just w- what has taken place. I mean, obviously, there's this, there's a revival going on in this area where you are of just people catching um, the, the spirit and moving forward. Can you can you share some of the stories that are taking place when you when you first got there to how you're feeling now, which is seeing where God is moving? We went to, to Peru as a family in uh, October 2003. We settled, we actually we got an adobe house, we lived on the mattress on the floor. We're the only white family among 30,000 Quechua people, and we just had a great vision, a dream to build a modern hospital, just as nice as a hospital in Texas or Washington or Los Angeles, with brand new technology and many people willing to serve there for many years to come. It, it was an impossible dream, obviously. And uh, when we went back to Europe to present our vision, people realized uh, in Central Europe that it couldn't be done. We said, well, if God wants it, it will happen. And it did happen. And so the hospital is very nice, obviously. We have treated uh, 143,000 patients, but 
the message behind it is much bigger. It shows that God is real and that He can do the impossible when we trust Him and when we pray very hard and we're ready to be led by God. So the message has gone out to many countries, and in Peru alone, the 31 TV shows have talked about the hospital built on faith, El Hospital de la Fe. Wow. You know, it's always amazing when, when people say it couldn't be done. Um, does that just make you smile? Because, yeah, you're right. It can't be done. But but through Christ, you know, it can be. So so tell us, how, how did you how did you make it happen? How were you able to what was involved in moving forward? We first we, we wrote a project proposal, a vision. And we said, well, we would need millions of dollars and uh, many people will need to take part. And obviously, uh, companies, for instance, to donate all the brand new equipment. We started traveling through Europe and then later on for other countries in 2004 and then 2005, 6, 7, 8. And we shared our vision. We said, well, this will happen if God wants it. And about 50,000 private people and 200 companies around the world, they supported us. So it's the, the result of a hospital that is just as nice as in Europe or a hospital for the middle upper class in the States, it's but serving the very poor patients. But it really happened in the end through God's miracles. He, he made all the coincidences. Um, and it's hard to explain. The book describes it, how people who don't even believe in God decided to support a Siemens. The big company decided for the very first time in its history to donate a CT scanner for hospital Latin America, despite the fact that the directors were committed atheists, but they did help us. Mm. Okay, so you're in the United States right now, correct, for this yes, show? Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm traveling through, uh, from coast to coast. I'm right now on my way to, to Boston, and I share the story and... Um, companies and we'll go to universities and churches and it just share the vision we had and the message is that God is real. It's worthwhile trusting him. He does the same miracles nowadays as he did 2,000 years ago. And, and that was my question. To, to see the miracles now as, the same as you know he, he was doing 2,000 years ago, I was just going to ask you, you know, being here in the United States, do you see that um, we're pretty apathetic as Americans, and as a matter of fact, my my daughter, she's in eighth grade, and she just mentioned the other day when I she was having some struggles, and I asked her, have you been praying about this? And she said, yeah, but, you know, God doesn't really do miracles anymore, Mom. <laughs> it broke my heart because so many times we think, oh, yeah, that, that was back, you know, in, in, in the Bible days. And God doesn't necessarily work that way anymore um, because we don't expect God. We don't expect those miracles to take place. So are you seeing that when you're here in America, that um, just living that life of mediocre and not expecting God to show up versus what you're seeing going on in Peru? Sometimes what is missing is the persistence. We have to pray uh, at times uh, well, for two, three, four years till God does respond. Well, Moses, he saw in his lifetime incredible miracles, but he, first he, he spent 40 years in the desert. So just to tell you one example, before I came to America as a medical student in 85, I prayed for 18 months every single night, God, oh, please help me to, to make it to America. 
um, if it's your will. I had no context. I just allowed to typewritten letters, 40 applications in 85, and eventually, well, I got there, but God did it in the end. He responded to a place after eight months of praying very hard every night. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to trust, and we have to be persistent. Trust and be persistent. Um, I, I think that would be another area um, that in America, you know, we we live in the world of microwaves and everything, you know, can be done in 30 seconds. So we pray and we want it answered in the 30 seconds. So when you say you're typing up letters to God and um, 18 months later is how long it took when you actually saw the answers, uh, that that trust and persistence, that's such a great tip. Would you have a note? We have two more minutes, Dr. John, before we go into a commercial break. Can you give us two other tips that you've noticed um, as you're, you're praying and really seeing God's miracles? Well, when Jesus said, follow me and uh, take, uh, carry your cross, I think it means if you're ready for the sacrifice and ready to put God first in our lives, then God is also ready to do special things in our lives, uh, re- re- to do miracles. If you're sitting at home on the couch and life is easy and enjoying your Coke and watching TV, it's actually difficult for God to do special things in our lives. We have to be willing to put him first and to, to well, to, we have to be ready for the sacrifice. Okay, that made me laugh. When we, you mean you mean we can't sit around and drink Coke, Coke and watch TV? <laughs> well, but, yeah, of course we can. But in the Christian life, when we want to follow Christ, we have to be willing. Well, for instance, if you go into mission as a missionary, well, you lose a lot of money. And that's, that's the reason why so many miracles do happen on the mission fields around the world, because people trust God and they rely on God, and they ask them each, each one of the question, God, what is it that you want me doing? I'm ready to do it. Then God does respond. Yes, I, I absolutely. That is such a, a great tip and very insightful. Um, I love the quote uh, by Charles Stanley. We are either in the process of resisting God's truth or in the process of being shaped and molded by his truth. And you're right. If we're not willing and we're not relying on God and we're just apath- apathetically, you know, hanging out on the couch expecting to see God's miracles, then it's going to be a little bit harder for, for God to show up. Uh, so stay, stay tuned and we'll be right back after these messages. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. 
For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. We are talking with our special guest. Um, he is, is here in the United States. He's from Peru, Dr. Klaus Dieter John. And he wrote a book, I Have Seen God. And it was first published in Germany, where it became a bestseller there. And uh, we were just discussing how um, when we truly want to see God show up, um, we have to be willing to rely on him, trust on God, and be persistent. And, and Dr. John, tell us a little bit more, because I love that. So many times we we have that expression of, you know, oh, there's only miracles that happened back 2,000 years ago. Where else are you seeing God in such incredible, just, you know, big God-sized ways that you can share with us today? Well, basically every day we... We put ourselves, the fate of a hospital, into God's hand to run a mission hospital that relies on donations. It's quite difficult. So we live hand to the mouth on a day-to-day basis. To give you another example, the current president of Peru is a left-wing politician by the name of Oriento Mala. And when he got into power three years ago, he was so concerned that he perhaps might even nationalize our mission hospital. And I thought that it would be so good to have a personal meeting with the president to, to tell him the story, to, to show him what we are doing. And about six months ago, there was a political meeting in our area, in our district, and he landed with his helicopter on our property. And um, well, obviously we showed him the hospital and was so moved that he called us in the evening and said, well, it's the best hospital in the south of the country. So he disagrees on our Bollywood worldview, perhaps our vision, he's not a Christian, but he invited us even to the palace down in, in Lima to hear the presentation. So we, God did it. We prayed for three years, but eventually God helped. Okay, what a story. You know, and so many times you think, yeah, right. Like, we're going to go meet with the president of Peru and um, share with him what's going on in our hospital. But through the prayers, that's that's a fabulous story that through all this, and this just happened six months ago, now you're you're meeting with the president and now he's inviting you to the palace. Yeah, that's why we, he came on the, uh, on the 30th of May 
and he invited us to the palace on the 6th of June. And right now his, his niece is working as a volunteer at our dental clinic. Uh, she's a dentist. And her, her, her uncle, the president, and her aunt, the first lady of Peru, they recommend highly to, uh, to do her lectures at our hospital. So now we have a personal relationship with the family. That's quite interesting. Wow. You know, in, in last segment, you talked about how um, so many times in America where we have the money um, versus when you go out and you're a ministry and there you are, you're serving the poorest of the poor. You have to rely on God. You have to go, okay, God, begging you here. You need to show up. And there's so much to be said for that where we just we live our day and there you don't have the wants and the needs even spiritually because we live in such an affluent time. Um, what, what are some of the other things that you're just seeing where God shows up in such a huge way? That is such a powerful story, by the way, of here the president of Peru has now including you into those relationships, like you said, and inviting you to the palace. Um, what's, what's another similar story that you've been able to witness I think God is especially close when we feel desperate and when we don't know what to do if we have no other options and we just have to rely on God. I remember, you know, we have frequent power cuts at the hospital, no electricity. It's a hospital with five ICU beds with four operating rooms, very modern. Obviously, you need electricity. And I tried for a long time to get an emergency generator as a donation. And I tried really everything. I went to the mining companies. Once I spoke to the Rotary Clubs in downtown Lima, but eventually nobody wanted to help us. And um, then I prayed and prayed and prayed. And eventually I talked to a proven company that had never done a donation, and I was standing outside. And I said, God, I'm so desperate. I've tried everything. Please, God, do a miracle. I'm so sad. I don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. This company, although the owner was very harsh personality, very unfriendly, well, he saw the presentation. He did do it, a $60,000 machine, because he was so moved. Um, and now we have electricity guaranteed day and night. But God did it. But obviously we have to pray and we have to rely on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and relying on him, I, I know we talked about it earlier, but relying on him and expecting him to show up. I know, you know, so many times we pray and we're just saying the words, thinking, oh, no, this isn't really going to happen. But when you've seen how God shows up, you do expect it. It's like, no, God, we, we need this. You, the, there's no reason why you wouldn't make this this happen. So I, I love that, just expecting God to show up. Um, how many people do you help on a, on a regular basis there at your hospital? Well, at the hospital, we have 150 people working, 110 Peruvians plus 55 missionaries from 12 countries around the world. Also, missionaries from Canada, the United States, Australia, and Europe. And based on the number of doctors available, we can reach out today about to 150 patients. Let's say 2,500 patients per month. It all comes down how many how many doctors we have. Um, there are so many patients coming. They come from all the 25 states of Peru, lining up outside, and sometimes they sleep outside in the rain, hoping to get into the hospital the next day or the, or the day after. So there's a great demand. And we treat them, and we start every morning with the church service, and we say, well, technology is important, and we are so grateful to have this nice hospital for you. But in, in the end, it's really 
it's Jesus Christ who can give you eternal life. And we always lose the fight against this. You need more than just in a CT scanner in a nice um, operating room. You need eternal life. That's what life is all about. Mm. What What would you say to our, our listeners out there? Well, first of all, I want to find out um, how they can find out more about what you're doing there in Peru. Um, uh, also, where they can find your book and more information about you on our website, but also tell them a little bit more about where they can um, through your website. And uh, two more tips to give our listeners. I know one of them just are you praying for God to do supernatural things? Um, I, I love that tip, Hebrews 2 4. And um, give us a, a couple more and where they can find you. Yes, it's easy to find us uh, on the internet. Uh, you just punch in Hospital Peru, and you will see Hospital Biospi Suyana. That's what the name of the hospital. And um, you can get the book on the Internet as well through Kriegel Publisher. It's a Lion Hassan publication from England. And, uh, well, it's, it's available, so it's uh, easy to get a copy overnight. I have seen God, and uh, my name is Klaus Dieter John. Okay, and share more about the situation that's going on in Peru and um, why such a large segment of the population is so vastly ignored, uh, you know, just they don't have the health care. Why, why is this? That is a very tough question. There are 30 million Peruvians, and, um, well, along the coast in Lima and the big cities like Arequipa, Trujillo, well, they get by, they have access to health care, they have their houses and their electricity and enough to eat. But the 10 million Quechua people, the indigenous, who live high up in the mountains, in the villages, they live like in Africa. And um, for them, life is, is really a fight to survive. And they're forgotten people. And the hospital that reaches, is reaching out to them with tender, loving care has become really a hope for many. That's why they travel sometimes the whole week to, to get uh, to the south of the country to to make it to the Astiana Hospital to be treated there. Well, it's a, it's a, the hospital is a symbol, and um, that's what we all need. We have to cling, hang on to something. You know, we hang on to the cross of Jesus Christ, and for them, the Astiana is the first exposure that God really knows them, and he loves them, wants to help them. Mm. And what, what spiritual aspects are you able to bring into your medical care that you provide? We start every morning with a church service. So we have celebrated uh, over the past uh, seven years, uh, 1,700 church services. And um, about 200 people enter the church every morning. So 340,000 people, patients and relatives, have heard, uh, listened at least to one sermon. And uh, they also see the Jesus film in the morning, which are the Jesus film in our waiting area. And our missionaries, obviously, everybody has his own style and ways to get uh, the message across. So my, my wife, for instance, she's very open. She prays for the patient. She has also some uh, tracks. She has books for the patient. So I think nobody can leave the hospital without hearing something about Jesus Christ. Mm, that is awesome. Well, what do you hope your readers will take away with them after reading your book, I Have Seen God? You know what? When I grew up in Germany, which is a very different uh, situation, only 4% go to church. And the great majority of the people, they don't believe in God. They don't think that God is 
more than wishful thinking or philosophy. And I was so desperate to know whether there was some hope for me or not. Sometimes I was afraid of dying at a spot on the skin. I thought, perhaps it's a melanoma, perhaps I have to die. So I wanted to know, is there God for real or is there no God? And um, I remember one night I was out on a field in November. It was ice cold and was shouting, go where you I want to see you. Mm. You know, my book carries this strange title, I've seen God, because we can experience God in a way that we can say, yes, we have seen him. He has become visible in my life. It's worthwhile praying. He has responded. It's worthwhile trusting him. So the message is to trust God more and more as our life goes on. Mm. Well, I, I must say, you are definitely leaking Jesus, even as, as you, you speak. And um, that it, it's just it's inspiring uh, to listen to you and to gain from your, your insights. Um, there is a quote by uh, Raphael Simon, To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances, to seek Him the greatest adventure, and to find Him the greatest human achievement. Obviously, you have done that. You went out there and you fell in love with God. You're seeking Him not not only daily, but obviously um, per second. And um, to see that the greatest human achievement is is discovering that in Christ and to once again, you went out, you go to these prestigious universities with Yale and Harvard, you get your degree and to choose to go back and serve the poorest of the poor. I just have to commend you and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining God and doing great big God sized things. And I want to thank you for just being on our show today and, um, sharing. It was so insightful, Dr. John. And once again, you can learn more about his book. I have seen God by going on our website and finding him on his website. Thank you. Great show today. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for being a part of this special program. Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 